I know who picked out the songs this morning. <laughs> I'm amazed. So where are those young ladies? The ones who sang first off. Oh, that's my song. That's my song. So I'll tell you a God story. I'm full of God stories because through this storm of cancer, which was another message, Karen and I were in the eye of the storm the whole time. Um, so that song, it's um, just a couple of days after Karen did her life celebration. And um, some of you were there for that. And now the doctor, I'm, in the morning, Karen's routine was uh, the nurses would go in and they would get her ready for the day. And I'm outside, and this is the hospice unit at the VA, and uh, I'm in the living room setting. And uh, I still had to carry on a business, so to speak, such as it was. And I'm doing my business stuff on the computer, and the head doctor comes up and says, Jeff, we need to talk. So I went off into his office, and now he's telling me, we've seen the shot across the bow. Your wife has got about two weeks left. Yeah, it's okay. See, I already know she's going to die. So he's trying to be the psycho guy to ease me into it. And so after all of that 20 minutes, I go back out and I get to my computer and I'm back on. Did you see? I just went right back to work because I already know all of this. So I uh, got done and I shut the computer. The night before, a close friend of mine brought a book. And he says, I got five pages marked for you. He says, I'd like you to read those five pages when you get a chance. Well, that was last night. I still hadn't done it. Um, and I know if he wants me to read something, it's for some good reason. So I closed the computer, and I saw the book right there. And I opened it up, and I read the first page. And I turned it over at the top of the next page, which I never got any further. Top of the next page says, I can deal with the ambulance ride if God is in it. I can stomach ICU if God is in it. I can endure the empty house if God is in it. And I shut the book. Thank you for that song. God has been filling that house for the year and four months. I got God's stories just like that all the time. At the moment when you need it, God is there. The question is, in your trials and tribulations, do you have your eyes open to see that God is in it? Because we're in the wilderness. For 15 plus years, Karen and I had a saying, and Ben and Rachel know it, whoever dies first is going to get the tombstone that says, ha ha, I won. And the other one will get the tombstones that says, finally. Okay? Yeah, that is funny. Except it's who we were. Because we had our eyes on something different. So with this opportunity, I got to look back at where Karen and I had been. And I realized that we were living to die. What? Doesn't sound right, does it? God has a 180-degree difference on the view of death that we do. I don't explain to explain how you see death, but God sees it exactly a 180-degree difference. So what was the changing factor? 
somewhere, and I think it might be about 15 years ago when I was in college, I can't remember, yeah, I went to college as an old guy. Um, yeah, and I know you young people, you don't understand, but that was a four-year vacation for me. <laughs> yeah, you guys know. Anybody who's self-employed for many years knows that when you go to college, it's a vacation. But somewhere in that point in time, I came across Psalm 116.15. Um, Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his cherished ones. Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his cherished ones. Is that about as opposite as a get to what you've been thinking? Um, my Bible has fallen apart. This is Karen's. It's kind of sort of falling apart. And I now am using hers, and I looked at verse, and she's got it highlighted in yellow also. That's what we lived by. That's the life we lived. So this morning's message is the foundation of how we lived. I've got eight different things that I'm going to be speaking about over the next six weeks. And so I figured I'm going to start right at the foundation as to how Karen and I lived. Um, first of all, the way we lived is we lived by studying God, knowing God, and you can best know God by knowing his attributes, as you call it, perfections, as some of us call. This is a book that was my devotional for two summers when I was going to college. And I don't know if you can see how big that print is, because you can't see how big that print is, because I'd say it's about a font two, <laughs> right? The Existence and Attributes of God by, Char by uh, Stephen Charnock. It's very old. And I was bemoaning the fact that I could only read about four pages on a good day. And so I went back to my professor of theology and I said that. He said, well, he says, you're fortunate because I can barely get past two. That's how deep it is. What about the perfections of God? His love, his justice, his mercy, his grace. His eternality. See, we have attributes of God's perfections. We have attributes of his justice. We have attributes of his love. We have attributes of his grace and his mercy, but we do not have any attribute of his eternality. He always was, he always is. We will always be, but we were not always ever were. Got that? And we certainly are not omnipresent. We can't be all places at all the time, although as parents we wish we could. Hmm? <laughs> no, I had perfect kids. I never had to be around. <laughs> the perfections of God. About six years into my walk with the Lord, a pastor began teaching for several years the perfections of God. Now in 38 years, you can imagine that I've studied a few things. Nothing has ever exceeded that studying of the perfections of God, ever. We're called to know him, the height and breadth and width and depth of his love, and to know him, know who he is through the perfections of God. It will change your life. It will also keep you on the track where when you know God, you will not easily go off the path into weirdism 
of Christianity. When we all die, God's going to have a class for us. I really believe it. It's called Class 101. Children, <laughs> this is what I really meant. The perfections of God. So that's where I want to start, at the perfections of God. And I'm only going to talk about three. And if you consider in this book that there's 150 pages of his goodness, <laughs> I'm going to barely give you the title of one of three perfections. God's sovereignty, God's knowledge, and God's power. See, every dictator, every despot, every king, every president, they're sovereign of. And every CEO of a huge corporation, they are sovereign of. But the sovereignty is based on knowledge and power. Obviously, if a king hasn't got good knowledge, but he's got a lot of power, more likely he's going to be a despot. One who's got a lot of knowledge and no power, the country isn't going to prosper at all. It takes knowledge, it takes power to be sovereign. And who's God? Perfect in knowledge, perfect in power, perfect in sovereignty. Is he sovereign in your life? To rest on God's sovereignty has been just amazing in our life, Karen and I. God's sovereignty. And you pray and you ask for things and you expect things and sometimes prayers get answered and sometimes not. Why? Because God is sovereign. But the point is, is when it doesn't go your way, can you ride the storm in the eye of the storm in peace and comfort? God's knowledge. Let's begin with Genesis 1, chapter 1. G Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You probably don't have to turn there. You're not going to find it up there. You probably already know it. It's only 10 words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why would God do that? Because he wants you to know him. Because he wants to make a declarative statement at the very beginning, at the get-go. He wants to say, this is who I am. In the beginning, God. God, Elohim, plural, two. Well, now we know that there's God, plural, created, singular. Well, how can you have a verb of singular describe a plural? Well, we know because there's three persons in one, isn't it? Declarative statement at the get-go. You didn't know that? And where do we see the third? In the very next verse, chapter, in very next verse 2, and the Spirit hovered. So we have Elohim, plural, followed by, create, by created, singular, God, three in one. In the beginning, God was, in that statement, in the beginning, God was before the beginning. So everything that's going to be created is within him. He is outside of that which he created. Ben creates awesome machines. They sit, that machine sits out there in the work area. Ben is outside of that. He sits in an office in a cubicle. Ben is outside of what he created. God is outside. So what did he create? In the beginning, he created time. The beginning, time. Created the heavens, space. Created the earth, matter. Huh? That's all of creation. Time, space, and matter. It's a trinity, is it not? 
Can't have one without the other. Now, if you had a piece of matter, where would you put it? Well, you got to have space. And when would you do it? You got to have time. Therefore, in the beginning, God created time, space, and matter in a nanosecond. So, what is time? Time is past, present, and future. As soon as time began, one second later, there was the past. Past, present, and future. There's a trinity. Space, height, depth, width. Trinity, height, depth, width. There's a trinity. And what about matter? Electron, proton, neutron is the absolute basic. A trinity. So each one of those three is a trinity. So what you have is a trinity of trinities created by the trinity. Wow! Electron, proton, and neutron. Who invented that? See, that's the issue. Says God created. Turn it around. Who invented it? With those electron, protons, and neutrons, the way that was invented allows to have compounds, or allows to have elements, basic elements. Getting into chemistry, sorry. Periodic table, which you all memorize, and if I could ask any of you old ones, you know that periodical table, right? <laughs> 94 natural elements that God created. And then there's 24 more synthetic that man created or fusion created, blah, 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 118. God created the atom, the electron, the neutron, and proton to react in certain ways to give us 94 elements that everything in life is composed of. How about DNA? He invented DNA in such a way that in that DNA that we all have the same DNA, no, it's all different. Because I'm looking at you, and every one of you are different. And where Ben and I can invent and make something as an engineer, we can't spell. <laughs> when Ben and I have to write what we're talking about, it's excruciating. We can't spell. But you who can spell probably can memorize languages. I failed three languages. My mother knew three languages. It did, the gene didn't get passed on. God created all of us different in that DNA, which is found in all life. Who invented that. Get the picture of God's knowledge? Because I don't. Oh, and you know those three little electron, neutrons, and protons forming the natural elements? Those elements, when, elements, when combined together, can be formed in yeah, another trinity. Solid, liquid, and gas. Another trinity. Oh, yeah, and then there's another thing. You know these things? <laughs> then there is the um, law of thermodynamics. 
Oops. Three laws. Another trinity. Oh, and then we have Isaac Newton. He got surred, knighted, because of what he discovered, gravity. So he's on this pedestal as the one who discovered it. Big whoop. Who invented it? Who invented it? Now, the one who invented it, was he knighted? Is he held up on the pedestal? No, he's denied, mocked, ridiculed, doesn't exist. The Big Bang did it all. Oh, wait, and in gravity? Guess what? There's three laws of motion in gravity. Another trinity. Growing up, I grew up in the ocean. No, my parents were not rich who grew up, who lived right out there by the ocean. No, I grew up in the ocean. And either I was in the ocean, or I was playing handball, or I was surfing, or I was in the ocean. That's it. I grew up in the ocean. So I was talking to my son-in-law one day, and I said, hey, I was talking about surfing. I says, yeah, it was great. I says, um, we waited for the ninth wave. Huh, the ninth wave. Um, the ninth wave. I'm looking at a few people. The Ventures, 1963, had a song called The Ninth Wave. So I'm not crazy. So what surfers noticed is that the ninth wave is the one that you want to catch. The ninth wave is the big one. No matter what the day, whether it's small or whether it's meter, whether the surf is up, the ninth wave is the one you want to get. You can let the first three go. It's like, don't bother. In fact, when you are going out, grab the first three, because you'll get out, you'll get over those waves beyond them, and you'll go. Now, if you're not that good of a surfer, you're going to want to wait for the fifth or sixth one, because the big boys are going to grab the eighth and the ninth one. So go ahead, get out of the crowd, go do your thing, learn. Pretty soon, you'll be in with the big boys. Seven, eight, and nine at the ninth wave. There's a battle going on to see who's going to get in and hold it and go shooting the tube, riding the milk, riding the rail, hanging 10, kick out, wipe out, whatever. Ninth wave. Did you hear what I just said? There's three waves, then there's three waves, and then there's three waves. There's a trinity of trinities within the waves. And so I'm talking about that to my son-in-law. He says, oh, yeah. He says, that's only the waves that you see. There's a whole bunch of math involved with waves in the ocean, and there's more than one, and I can't remember how many told me, but there's so many different waves, not in what you see in a few seconds, but in minutes, and in an hour, and in a half an hour, there's waves. Mathematics, all to the mathematics of the one who created everything. <laughs> Surfers just recognize what God did without realizing it. Trinity of Trinities, created by the Trinity. The knowledge of God. And that's where I have to stop with the knowledge of God. Power of God. The power of God. By the power, excuse me, by the will of the Father. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus spoke everything into existence. He spoke and it was done. So I'm getting short, so I'm going to really just take you to one place. Turn over to John 18, 1 through 6. We can see the power of God. Actually, God's people saw the power of God in Egypt. There were 10 plagues. And we believe that those 10 plagues happened over the period of one year. When there were frogs, there's a season when there were frogs. God amplified it to make it a plague. There was a season then when there was lice. God amplified it to make it a plague. Now you all can go to this one. There's a season when there's flies, black flies. You love them, don't you? <laughs> God made it a plague. The power of God, been clearly seen. So where do we see a little bit of that? 18. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with the disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. I and very visual. I can't memorize a verse for the life of me, but I sure can see what I read without drugs. Thank you very much. <laughs> a cohort, anywhere from three to 600 men. Well, I'm conservative, so it's 301, okay? And then there was the armed guard from, from the temple, 100 maybe. Okay, that's all it says, as far as people, 400. But elsewhere in the Gospels it says, for what reason is this? That when all the disciples spread and Jesus was being led away, there was one man that the soldiers tried to grab, and they pulled his towel off of him, and he ran away naked. Now what's that in there for? You know what it is? He's a busybody of the town. See, he was taking a shower. And it's like, oh, what's going on? And he shut the water off and put the towel around and followed. Do you think he was the only busybody in that town? No. So we have more than 400 people that have come to arrest Jesus or to observe. It's 400. With swords and torches and lanterns and all the get-go. And Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. Skip down to six. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Oh, and they fell backwards. No, it didn't happen that way. See, when Jesus said, I am, that's the I am that God spoke to Moses. I am that I am. And when Jesus said, I am, he said it in such a controlled way that he merely knocked 
them backwards. They just didn't drool back and fall down. They fell down because when he spoke, the power of what he spoke knocked them to the ground. And then brave old Peter takes out his sword. Ha! They're down. Now let's get them. And trying to cleave the guy's head in half only cut off an ear. That's the power of God. So why is that significant to all of you? It's really easy. What Jesus was telling us right there was, I have the power to kill him and nobody's going to take me to the cross. That's what it could have been. He's also saying, I got the power to go to the cross and nobody is going to stop me from going to the cross. That's what he did for you. That's what's demonstrated right there in the power of him. I could have killed him, and they don't need to arrest me because I'm going to the cross for you. Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty, the fact that God is free and able to do all that he wills. Would you agree to that? Who's going to stop God? <laughs> God put those songs together today. It's blowing me out of the water. Um, sovereignty of God. Here's a good one. God decides what will be of all the possibilities. So every one of us has to make decisions. Mom and dad especially, you have to make decisions. And you'll sit down and you make those decisions, hoping it's God that's making those decisions for you. But you're in due diligence, you decide, well, dear, if we do this, and you're looking at the first layer of, if we do this, this will happen. And maybe, if you can possibly do it, you're going to go into the second layer. Well, if we do this, this will happen. If we do that, then this will happen. We really go into the second layer, right? You know what God does? He goes into the centuries beyond to plan. So without going there, when the kingdom was split in two after uh, Solomon died, Solomon's son Rehoboam got two tribes, Jeroboam got ten tribes, and a prophet came along because Jeroboam was doing four things wrong. A prophet came along and said, in the future, I'd like to turn to this, but we haven't got the time, in the future, there's a king, Josiah by name. That's so rare in the Bible. Josiah by name is going to come and tear this altar down after he has killed the priests and burnt them on this altar. He's going to tear this altar down. 309 years later, Josiah came and did exactly what the prophet said. 309 years. What is the chances of that happening? Zero to man perfect to God. Question. Was God sovereign in that? And what did it take to do that? It took knowledge and power. The sovereignty of God. God is totally sovereign over all of his creation and over your life. Okay, here we go. This is how Karen and I remain calm in the eye of the storm. I hope I can get through this. 
It's a long one. It's a life story. It is amazing to me as I tell it. I was a nine-year process of coming to the Lord. Nine years. In that time, I met a man, and this really old guy, older than me, and I'm almost as old as dirt, um, he had a prayer session on Saturday morning, a men's prayer breakfast. And several men came, and they were praying for this guy, praying for this guy, Jeff Cucci. Never met me. Year and a half. One of those persons was John Loftus. Okay, I finally heard the call. Got to got fast forward. Um, as life happens, going to college, moving around, whatever, I ended up in a different church, as I'm presently in, and there was John Loftus, always sitting in the same seat, John and Liz Loftus. And it came upon me that um, right off the get-go that I sat down, Karen and I sat down next to them, and I said, John, if anything ever happens to me, what has happened to you, I hope that I am found as steadfast, faithful as you. Well, so where did that come from? Well, they lost their son somewhere around the age of 30 to disease, and two years later, their older daughter, just a little older than the son, committed suicide. As parents, normally, counselors know that when, a, when parents lose one child, good chances are it's going to be a divorce. And second is, one of them will probably hold their fist up to God, if not both. John and Liz Loftus are found every day in the same seats, steadfast, faithful, to God after losing their children. I want to be like them. If I am ever found in your place, John and Liz, I want to be found as faithful as you. Five years I said that. You asked them about 12 times. I sat next to them out of nowhere, just said it. Out of nowhere, just said it. See, God gives us the desires of our heart. You want to win the lottery? It ain't working that way. He puts his desires that he wants you to have into your heart. And then you say, Lord, I want... And you think your prayer is being answered as you go through it because he's got it all worked out. And when you get to the end, he says, good and well done, my faithful servant, because he did it all. He put that desire in your heart to pray, and you prayed and thought it was your prayer. I know. Five years. Okay, just after Labor Day, we go to the VA because Karen's having trouble breathing. They take the x-ray. They find out, oh, we see a little bit of your kidney and you got cancer. See, kidney cancer has no pain. God brought us to that place at that time to expose the cancer kidney. The doctor says, well, you know, you've had this cancer for about five years. What did I just tell you about John and Liz Loftus? Five years. Do you think I said that to them on my own accord, my own initiative, my own thoughts? Not a chance. So what's that got to do with anything? On December 15th, she had her cancer, his kidney taken out. You are cancer-free. Wow, praise God. 
three months later on Palm Sunday, which is a significant, another story that ain't gonna happen here. We take her, I take her to the VA. It's Palm Sunday. I come back from church and she's no better and I take her to the VA and going in there, um, I'm sorry to inform you, but you have cancer everywhere. Cancer free, not. Come back tomorrow and we will tell you more. So Monday morning, when they called, they wanted to get everything ready for the coochies to come. They call, we come, and we hear, and I am dumped on with all this bad stuff. Kidney, the cancer is everywhere, lymph nodes, and so this isn't good. No time, no, hear me, no time to process. I am numb. I can't think of God, I can't think of that, I can't think, I'm just numb after three and a half hours. I said, Karen, I gotta go get something to drink. So I leave the emergency area. That's the door where you come in. I go over here to the information counter. I know there's a brother that works here and I wanna find him. I need this brother in the Lord right now. Uh, but there's somebody at the desk and they're taking a long time. Should I go and get my drink, which is a quarter of a mile away through buildings, or should I wait? I think I'll wait. No, I'll go. No, I think I'll wait. No, I'll go. Got it? I waited. And as I waited, I'm looking around. I turn and I look. The door is like from here to way out there. There's the door where you come in. And you know who's coming through that door, don't you? John and Liz Loftus. And what was I saying for all those years? And my heart sank. I know that Karen's going to die. Flat out. A year and a half before this, I was teaching the attributive perfections of God, his knowledge, his power, and his sovereignty. And if you're a teacher, you learn far more than what anybody hears. Why was I teaching that? And here they come through the door. My heart sank. And now I'm being overwhelmed by this peace and comfort, knowing, knowing that the power of God brought them there, that he knows right where we are, and he is sovereign over everything in my life. And that peace and comfort has never left. And anybody who was coming in to see Karen and I, they saw peace and comfort in the eye of the storm because we knew who God was. That's how important knowing who God is by his perfections. Because in the end, whatever you go through, God is, and you need to know it. Let's pray, because I have to. Now, Heavenly Father, we don't know you. I, I, Lord, don't know you. And for all eternity, we're going to be saying, I didn't know that. And we learned something new. And we will never get to the end, ever, for all eternity, 
of knowing you. But right here on this earth, right here, right now in our life, we can know you more in an intimate way. You are unfathomable. That's part of you. You are unfathomable. But we need to chase you, Lord. Lord, keep me on that path of knowing you each and every day. Your magnificence. For when I say you are awesome and nothing else is awesome, I'm saying it because I know it. And I can't even grasp how awesome you are. Can't do it. You are uncontainable, unknowable, unsearchable. And yet you cause us, you command us to know you. The height and the width and the width and the, the height and the width, the breadth of your love. And to know that we can't get there from here. I praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.